and you can live in the day. Man in the Making. I'm joined by Rajan. Uh, thank you for being here with me today. Thank you, sir. So, off of recent videos I've been watching from Thich Nhat Hanh, I hope I said his name right. Yeah. Um, I think some interesting things he said that I'd like your perspective on is one of the quotes was to worry too much has become a habit in us. And then that was later followed by the habit of worry is preventing the healing of our body and spirit. So my question to you is, how can a person relax and worry less? It's a good question. And I agree um, on both points. We worry way too much. And the worrying, concerned, fearing nature uh, or aspect of our nature is preventing us from entering into the superconscious. Um, or I guess if you, if you're a fan of brainwaves, it's preventing you from uh, entering into theta, I think it's called, which is uh, a highly intuitive brainwave uh, frequency. I think there's uh, beta alpha theta zeta or something there's there's several levels and uh, you can hook yourself up to a machine actually to see if you've gotten to a certain frequency and i've never tried one but i'm pretty sure when we go into meditation um, we get up in the those really refined frequencies and we're able to think clearly all right, so that's all the side stuff. Um, but the question is, how, how does someone circumvent that? Yeah, that how right? can a person relax and worry less? Yeah. How do we worry less? So as, as usual, I think it's a, it's a twofold process. You have to, deep down inside, change the way you view the world. Uh, I think I can give credit to Stephen Covey for that one because he taught that a paradigm shift automatically changes your character and attitude. So in, in other words, Rokas, in order to, I could say in order to change our worrying nature or the, the aspects of ourselves worrying, there's something in our attitude we can change or there's something in our character we can change, like something in our routine. Uh, we can prepare better and um, feel more secure. We can detach more, things like that. There's all those little things in our character and our attitude, our behavior can change in order to get rid of that worry. Or we could, we could skip all that and change our philosophy or change our paradigm or worldview, how we see everything, how, how we believe that the world works. And I think that if we do that first, we can change all that other stuff automatically. That's kind of the theory of the paradigm shift. It automatically adjusts character and attitude. Character and attitude 
come with it. They refine with it. They get fixed as soon as our, our worldview changes. And our worldview can be one of, of um, everything happens for a reason, right? One of perfection. Um, we can see everything happening around us as exactly the way it's supposed to happen. So if, if that's true, then there's nothing to worry about. I only have to flow with what's happening instead of trying to force it to not happen. So there's no need to worry. A boxer doesn't worry, I think, so much as, as getting punched, right? They know that getting punched is a part of being inside of a ring. So what they do is they practice ways to, to get around punches and, and, and punch back, All right? Dodge, move your feet and, and punch back, right? Defend offense, defend offense. So if we, if we understand that life kind of gives us punches, it's going to throw them at us and, and then we can be prepared for that. And like that, that happens deep down inside of us. It doesn't happen outside of us. Right. I mean, there's conflict training, there's jujitsu, there's, there's exercise and these personal pursuits of perfection. There's, there's things that we do in the physical world that can help our, our confidence in that, in that way. But there's something deep down inside of us that gets turned on and changes forever when we're, when we're ready to um, change the way we see the world and, and view the world differently. And when, when it happens, it switches like a light and it doesn't usually go back unless, unless it, 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 it's not deeply ingrained in us. And then it takes a memory, a trigger, an anchor to kind of remind us of that world perspective that, this is meant to be, I'm going to try my hardest, but, but I'm going to work with the, what's, what's being given to me. I'm not going to fight it. If, if this project is going to be challenging, I could either worry about it, or I could realize that it's going to come with challenges and difficulties because it's a big project. So I can just breathe and roll with it and bring the challenges and I welcome the challenges because in the end, I'll have seen those challenges and been able to conquer them, right? So there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, there's, there's a growth aspect to everything and worry will, will prevent us from seeing it that way, from growing from it. You know, when we worry too much, and this is that second part of what he was saying, when we worry too much, uh, we get through a challenge <clears throat> and it feels like a relief. And we're like, thank God. Thank God that's over. Right. And that's not actually the perspective we want to have, because if that's the case, we're going to get steamrolled by life. We're going to get taken over. Like imagine if a surfer had to get over a wave to get to the next one. And he was like, God, thank God. 
I don't have to do that again. It's like, there's going to be another one right after that and another one and another one. So you need to learn not to look at the waves as things, as, as things that are uh, a burden, but the, just something that's part of the process. If you thought that a, a stoplight was a burden, you won't be able to drive a vehicle. It won't be able to happen because there's too many stoplights to coming at you. There's way too many on a daily basis. We've gotten to the point where we can drive on a road and, and you know, and get confronted with stoplights and they don't phase us, right? It's just like it's part of driving. So stoplights don't worry us, right? It's getting hit by another car. Go. Uh, really nice analogy. Now, going back to your first point when you said changing your routine. Uh, so do you practice mindfulness throughout the day outside of meditation mm -hmm. yeah and that's part of the that that aspect of it where it just becomes part of your nature mindfulness becomes the way you see the world wait let me let me let me take that back mindfulness becomes the eye that sees the world um you you change your eyes on the path you switch them out for mindful ones and and you see things differently so there's a, a phrase in the english language called uh, seeing seeing a situation with rose-colored glasses mm -hmm. have you ever heard that yep. right having kind of an almost naive perspective on something to where the details don't burden you and you're just living your happy, joyful life, happy-go-lucky people, right? They see things with rose-colored glasses. They have a, they have a, uh, there's a, there's a lens for mindfulness too. You can, you can put those glasses on and you can, you can observe instead of react and you can be attentive instead of uh, extremely uh, thoughtful, right? And filled with thoughts. That's why, you know, when you line up for roll call in the military and they have attention, <laughs> right? Everyone straightens up, looks forward, straight spine, and they're at attention, right? They're, they're, they're being prepared to pay attention and to observe and to receive. So we can always be at attention and observation. And... Um, with enough practice, it just, it just happens naturally. And, and someone comes at you with something, <clears throat> you have a different lens. Then instead of reacting negatively, you know, you just watch, you just observe. What's the difference in observing and overthinking? Observing is, is uh, restraining thinking, uh, thought. <clears throat> there's no questions there's no mental activity okay so observing is just watching it's like true listening is observation okay so you're receiving something that someone is saying to you you're not thinking of the next thing to say so that's true listening true observation is not thinking of your next action you're just mm -hmm. like that you're just you're just like sitting there in pure awareness 
purely in the moment, purely accepting what's going on without a reactionary stimulus in the mind being triggered. Overthinking is being flooded with that, with the next steps, right? Multiple scenarios and realities and universes of, of different thoughts. This could happen and this could happen and this could happen. And, and I'm not saying, you know, don't get me wrong. Overthought, overthinking is, is just sometimes a part of life. It's going to happen. Um, but it, you know, it's different. It's, it's not observation. It's it, you're stuck inside action. And observation is just, it's a, a form of waiting for action to subside before you act. That's, that's what Wu Wei is, right? We've talked about Wu Wei. That's what jujitsu is. It's to act without acting, um, to be without, without um, projection, um, to react only on something else's reaction. So in jujitsu, sometimes both people fighting are just sitting there. And you may even be wrapped up in the other person, um, you know, waiting for their next move so that like if they have you like an anaconda, if they're wrapped around you and choking you, you know, and they're not fully there yet, they need to get a little closer or they need to wrap their arm a little differently. And you're not quite losing air, but you can still breathe. And you're both just sitting there and they know that if they move to get a little closer, they also give you a little bit of wiggle room and a chance to escape. So if you're fighting, if you're pushing and overthinking and resisting, you will miss the moment that they gave you where they inched in a little closer and opened up their locked grip and, and let go for a second to get, to get even deeper. And the moment where they let go, that was your time to escape, but you missed it because you were not mindful, right? You were resisting what was happening and not being uh, observant and aware and still. So a good jujitsu player two good players don't take those mistakes, right? They, they, they both sit still. And the guy who's got the advantage, he knows that it's only an advantage for the time being, and it doesn't last forever. He knows that he has to also be still and carefully move because the other guy, he knows the other guy knows. He knows the other guy's waiting. And um, you'll notice, I mean, I've been noticing the better I'm getting that more advanced players are much slower. And they're like, all right, this guy is definitely waiting. He, he sees me going in for this choke and I, and he's going to get out if I, if I move. So I have to do something else or I have to wait it out. And, uh, it eventually it becomes very difficult to be choked, even if you're in a very bad position. You can still hold off for, for another five minutes and run down the clock, so to speak. So that's, that's the difference between um, overthinking and observation.
which is a good question. I know you probably overthink a hell of a lot. You probably have have that going on. A lot of smart people do, intellectual people. Um, you can want to cover those bases, you know. You want to have a have something there, backups for backups, or you know, ways to prevent things from from happening. And not just so. Let's say even at night when trying to fall asleep, I could be laying there for an hour and just can't fall asleep because too many thoughts. Very common. Very yeah. common. And and I did want to. I don't, oh, that reminds me. So the so this is common, and and the 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 reason uh, Tick says says those things is because um, so we're in this age of of global instant connectivity, and and I I think we've talked about this before, but it can't be over overstated that the more the world changes in its in its connectivity. And, and, and in a sense, changing meaning the better we get, the more efficient we get, the more uh, galactic that we get, right? I mean, we're going up into uh, different realms of, of space as we speak. Um, the more that expands, the more complicated life will get. It's not going to get easier. Think, there will be technology that makes things easier, but but it's it's a it's a, a double-edged sword. It's a paradox. Okay, the very technology that makes things easier also makes things more complex because that mm-hmm. technology exists, because it needs to exist, because it needs to be created, and it needs to be um, uh, f- fluidly sent out, and and you know the connectivity the the Starlink connectivity on, on my phone, giving me internet access in the middle of, of a, a mountain peak. Um, that very connectivity was complicated to produce and is complicated to manage, right? And sending up Starlink into, into the atmosphere and, and managing those Starlinks and, and, and those projects by SpaceX and other future companies, you know, that's complicated and people are getting confused and, and having to work around problems that have never been thought of before. But for me on this end, I just have internet. (laughs) So as my life gets easier, someone, someone else's life gets more complex and it's a trade-off and, and my life being the one that's enjoying the technology will get more complicated because now I have to deal with the burden of having internet everywhere I am. And that comes with challenges in and of itself, right? In the, in the Zen mind retreat we're going to have in August, um, I'm not going to allow people to have their phones, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm going to, we're going to reverse for three days, some of the stuff that we're getting stuck with. Um, so it's a paradox in that, we will worry more. We have to. We have to have more complex problems if we have a more complex society. If we have more people, uh, if we have more things, if we're if we're living in, in different places, right? If we do have space stations for civilians, uh, when we do have that, right? 
we're going to need a way for Rokos to contact grandma so that, uh, or Rokos is going to need to be, to be able to record a podcast in the space station on Saturday. All right. Mm-hmm. And what, what time zone is that? Like, we're going to have to figure things out and connect so that while I'm on earth, you know, this is going to happen. So none of these, um, paradigm shifts, if you will, hide you from the reality that is coming and that is here and that that complexity is abundant and that I want to, to I want people to know that while while an increasing amount of complexity is coming and is here now, it doesn't mean you have to have the worrying nature doesn't mean you have to worry as much with it. The, the charts, the bar chart doesn't have to have you increasing in worry and confusion as global connectivity increases. We can, we can slow down the amount of, of burden on our psychology as global connectivity increases. We can change the way the charts are going. We don't have to grow our worry doesn't have to grow with, with global complexity. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's normal that it does. Like they do go hand in hand, but uh, we can have some sense of, of control over it. So we can kind of do both while at the same time, not judging ourselves, not being too hard on ourselves for those long nights and for those difficult to get to moments. And when you're sitting in bed trying to get to sleep, but you're thinking of another project or something like that, you know, there's, you don't want to be too hard on yourself. And that's part of the, that's part of the process of getting rid of worry is not actually being too hard on yourself and kind of relaxing and kind of like, and, and sort of accepting it, that, that tends to help. Whereas if we're kind of worried that we're worried, well, well then we're kind of screwed. Then we're really not going to get better and we're going to stay up a little longer. Now, you may be staying up at night thinking of stupid things. If, if that's the case, you know, then you have to go back to rudimentary um, areas of solution where you just have to write some of that stuff down, um, get out of bed, uh, exercise a little bit more or, you know, clear your mind somehow, stop eating so close to bed, things like that. There's, there's basic instinctive um, uh, changes we can make to, to make falling asleep easier. If your thoughts, if, if you're filled with useless thoughts, if you're filled with deeply complex thoughts, that are life changing, then, then we have to kind of go to other areas to solve those. Does that make sense that there's different yeah. kinds of thoughts yeah. that can fill our mind? It does. I think mine are usually about things that have happened in the past. So I guess writing it down would be good. Yeah. I mean, also very common. They're not, they're not useless thoughts. So that's another area, right? 
that's it's there's the useless thoughts. What am I going to eat tomorrow or some crap like that? Or, you know, what did I say today? Like, I wish I said something different. Um, and then there's the complex problems, but yeah, there's the stuff that happened a long time ago or, or, or the, th- the things that happen throughout the day or the week, <clears throat> um, that are going to come up. We, we're going into those, those traumatic thoughts that, you know, if they are traumatic, then yeah, they need to be rooted out, cleaned up, categorized and, and, uh, cataloged in a proper manner for the mind to not spit them up uh, at moments of, of relative calm. And that can happen with the same thought over and over again. Uh, sometimes we need to deal with the same experience over and over again. We really need, you know, some experiences, some traumatic experiences take years to uncover and, and understand. And gosh, I, I've been there. I've been there, man. Um, just like taking a good year to kind of figure out what just happened. Um, and, and sometimes that traumatic experience becomes a part of your script and a part of who you are and a part of how you live your life. For example, I think this is a good example. Um, you know, I, when I had the experience of uh, detaching from a brother monk who was part partially abusive, you know, psychologically manipulative. Um, and, and when I had to detach from that seven year, you know, that seven year experience, um, the rebound effect of healing and understanding and cognizing what had happened took, it maybe took another few years, right? It wasn't just, oh, I'm out of this situation. I'm all good, right? It's like there was a, a seven-year process there that needed to be unraveled. And that, t- that took a while. And, you know, it, become, it became a part of my, my being, unraveling that, why it unraveled, how it unraveled helping others to that so that their unraveling is smooth. You know, I had, you know, put it in the book. Um, It became a part of my uh, subconscious teaching patterns of how to deal with manipulative bosses. Right. So it's not something that if it's something that keeps you up up at night, maybe it needs to become more of a part of your thinking process throughout the day right? Maybe it becomes a part of your life mission. Like, like, um, um, Jessica Kramer, right? Mm-hmm. The amazing pot. What, what show was that? 50 or something. It was like maybe six, uh, 50 or 60. Yeah. And 60 was John, right? Yeah. Um, she, maybe she even before 50. Yeah. So go back if, if to all the listeners, to all the, the thousands of listeners we have now, um, if you, if you don't, if Jessica Kramer doesn't come to mind, go back to her episode where, where uh, she's talking about her traumatic experiences in life and how she transcended them. We're talking about someone who's gone through something and now it's part of their, their script. It, it's part of who they are, right? They use that 
trauma to, to help others. And that in turn helps them understand what they've been through even more. Uh, Chris Marhefka, who, who is a, a masculinity coach. Um, I mean, not just masculinity coach. He helps everyone, uh, both sexes. Um, he, he went through tr- trauma of, of, uh, of an identity crisis in his own life. And that, that took 10 years to get to. And so now his life and the foreseeable future and possibly the rest of this incarnation is going to be disseminating information on what it all means. That's how complex our lives are and our minds are. It's not a simple matter to say, well, this happened to me and, uh, you know, it was kind of screwed up. And, and now, you know, now I live my life this way. It's, that's how to not go through something. That's the wrong way to go about it. And that's how most people do it, right? That's why they go see shrinks and psychologists and, and psychotherapists and coaches and things like that, right? They go to someone to say, can you help me unravel this thing that happened to me 10 years ago, right? That's what, the, that's what every client and student has ever said to ever, every teacher in that, in that field. Can you help me unravel this experience? And, and it's a profound, it's a profound uh, subject, really, when you think about it. So we can all do that to ourselves to some degree. And if we don't, then we're in some real trouble, right? That's how you get, you know, that when it's too late, that's where you get the, um, the bipolar tendencies, the schizophrenic tendencies. When all of that stuff is not dealt with, that's when you have some real problems that takes even longer to unfold. So, you know, I've had clients there and it's like, look, uh, these things, I'm seeing some uh, bipolar tendencies. You might need to get diagnosed and, and get some medical treatment. Um, and for some people that really helps them. So, we, you know, we don't want people to go that far. We want, we want to kind of uh, um, uh, arrest that process and, 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 and fix it. But uh, sometimes it, it's in there for 40, 50 years in some people and they're really stuck. And it changes the, 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 the neural pathways in their brain and it, and it spews out you know, it manipulates the chemicals in their brain. And then they, they, they're a little more paranoid. They talk to themselves a little strangely They're Maybe they have violent thoughts and, and it starts to go awry very quickly. So those are the sides of mental health that we're trying to, that we talk about and trying to help out. And, and uh, it's not a, it's not a simple matter to, to, to be frank. So, sorry. That was a lot. Why sorry? It's useful information. Um, I had one more question, but I think it's been covered. But just in case, I'll still say yeah. if you have anything more to add. So why is mindfulness important to you? I mean, that's is that covered? Question. No, I mean, that's a great question. Um, it, it indirectly was answered, but it wasn't directly answered. Mm-hmm. So, so indirectly, we, we talked about, you know, 
how to not worry and stuff like that. But, but directly, you know, if you're, if you want to get out of your, your confusion, if you want to see things clearly, you want to see things more mindfully then uh, that's the goal. If you want, and I say that carefully, if you want, okay. A lot of people aren't there yet. They're not there yet. They're not meant to be there yet. So I say that for a reason. If you want to start seeing things differently, if you want to understand what you've been through and to clear some of that stuff up, then you jump on the path and, and you start to you start to fix yourself um, and the way you see the world. And, and usually you start out in, in different ways, right? Everyone has different ways. There's a lot of different ways to do it nowadays. But don't do it if you're not ready. Now, now the reason we do that when we're ready is, is because of a burning desire that is inside of us. No one else can create Lights that. Dark flame, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it's this thing inside of us that comes out and, and, and we say, I know, I know there's a better way. I know there's a better way. And that's what starts us out on the journey. And everything before then is, is good and supposed to happen. And then everything after is where the real challenge begins because it's that unraveling process of who we are, right? Realigning ourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, ourselves with this identity that we're supposed to have. And then living our life properly. And, 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 or, or better than it was before, right? Because both are proper in a sense, in a karmic sense. So that's why we, why we want that, right? It's, it's mysterious where that comes from, but it's this, it's this karmic shift. And you're, and you're, Jordan Peterson said it the best. Your soul um, seeks to liberate itself from the tyranny of the ego. And I don't, I don't think that can ever be said better. Your, your ego is, is a tyrannical force in your life and it controls and it manipulates and it demands and it craves and your soul has says it gets to a point where it says enough is enough. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be another feeling that I get to have in this life. There's another reason we're all here in this weird, crazy way. And I've, I've got to figure that out. And the soul is seeking it, this liberating uh, path and right away from the ego, the tyrannical forces and nature of the ego and, and the ego is this ruler in that in that phrase and the soul is a is a hero right and it seeks that that um salvation that's the why that's the why we we, we want all that directly would it be too simplistic to say that we do because we want a better life I mean, it's, it's better to say it simplistically, to be honest. Yeah, we want a better life. 
for sure. We want, we want, I, I never forgot, you know, my guru, uh, when he, he told me that when he was younger, the reason he stepped on the path and, and to become a monk, uh, he was like a brilliant pianist. He was a very well-educated, brilliant fellow. And as a young man uh, in his teens, um, he was just inwardly perplexed at life. And, and he was just like, there's, there's got to, and that's why I say it. He's like, there's got to be another, uh, there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more. And, and we all ask ourselves that question and, and we all um, answer it differently because we answer, we ask it at different times and to different uh, severities. So not all of us ask that question and then renounce the world, but, but uh, you know, that's like as severe as it gets. For the most part, we ask that question and, you know, we start to make small changes and that's, that's a, that's a powerful thing. We want to start with small changes. I get, I get frustrated with the teachers that seek those life changing um, results from very little effort. Um, and they make these grandiose promises to people who are asking that question, right? In a sense, when you ask that question, you're in a very vulnerable place. You're very open to manipulation and it's, it's a very scary place to be. And, and some people take advantage of that and promise things for a high price. And uh, it just doesn't happen like that all the time. It, it, it takes a lot of work and, and there's no guarantee that you'll be able to figure out, figure it out in five to 10 years, you know, but uh, this world is truly filled with infinite variety. Which in a way is the beauty of it. Absolutely. Which is, which is why it's also perfect. I was just talking about perfection with someone. Gosh, who was it? It doesn't matter, but I'm just sad that my memory is is <laughs> what it is. That's your we crush. <laughs> we were, uh, we were absolutely, we were talking about. Uh, it must have been after jujitsu or something yesterday. We were talking about how there's all these problems and complexities and we're talking about the same thing we're talking about now and i was like but isn't that how it that's what makes everything so perfect and they were like huh <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yeah that all that bad stuff is also good stuff and all that variety and weirdness is is why everything is so perfect and it's, it's an important thing to see. That's where, that's where we started off, right? That's how you just are. When you change to be a more mindful person and that lens is shifted, 
you just start talking about it in those terms. You don't go back and, and say, oh, yeah, yeah, it, that does suck, doesn't it? You, I, I rarely just accept that, right? Once you learn it, and we talked about this all the time in the monastery, we would say, even if you leave here, you're still, it's still there. Like your blood changes. You're different. And it's just going to, it's just going to be a part of who you are. And it's true. I, I'll, I never get into a conversation where these things don't come up and it stands out. It's very different. You know, the people at NASA are like, what is going on? You have this, you're very different. You're just, what are you talking about? You know, and it's like, oh, there goes Raj again, just talking about that monk stuff, you know, and it's like, you know, it's good. It makes you, it makes you stand out and it, and it gives you a different presence. It, 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 it reels people in because of what you said, you know, uh, why do we do this? And, and it's like, when you start talking about these things with other people, they remember that that question in themselves there's there's got to be there's got to be something better right and and you start talking like this and they're like oh go on these are the things that i i think about when no one's around these are the things that i think about before i fall asleep and when you start talking about it uh you bring people in you bring people into your circle of influence because everyone can relate to this stuff. And, you know, it just spreads like wildfire. And I think on the uh, next month, I'm giving a presentation at NASA uh, in, a, in front of a small group uh, about who I am and, and, and this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, everyone wants to kind of hear about this stuff. They don't know how they're going to hear about it, but they want to hear about it. You know, someone, and it, it, it's as easy of, uh, it's as easy as just reaching out. Someone at work was just like one of my team leaders was, had a death in the family and it's like, okay. So yeah, I reached out to them privately and then just went through what I believe in. And, and they're just like, whoa, okay. I'm not going to forget your name. And, you know, professionally, if you want to excel, you should probably write some of this stuff down because I just, I just got the, 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 the department like head to remember my name. Like that's a pretty good place to be in a good way. You don't want them to remember your name in a bad way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and it's like, okay you've, 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 you're a, you got a different way you see things and you got good ideas. It's like, why don't you, why don't you run this meeting with, for me, you know? And it's like, that's, that kind of stuff is happening now. And it doesn't take long for people to realize it's, it's the gopher um, story by Stephen Covey. The, the team leader, you know, is a, is a bull, and just got all these great ideas and everyone else around them is just a gopher. Okay. In the company meetings, go for this, go for that, go for that. I've got this great idea. I need you to execute that. Go for that. 
right? And then you come up with these different ideas and you speak with them privately and you're like, hey, I've got this idea. I brought you this data. I've analyzed what you got me, what you wanted me to do. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm bringing you the results, but here's how I would do it. And they're like, whoa, that's pretty good. And then the next meeting, go for that, go for that, go for that. And then they stop at you and they're like, what's your opinion? What do you think about this? I want, here's, I want you guys to work with him on that and bring the results to him and then he'll talk to me. That's how you professionally excel. That's how, that's how you want to stand out. You don't want to be under the radar. Uh, you know, no one knows me. I just do my work and turn it in. You want to change the game a little bit. And, and in, in today's complex world, as we were talking about earlier, you need to do that in order to advance or else you're just another coder. You're just another guy who builds apps. You're just another guy who knows like five languages and it's not a big deal. Sure. You, you got, uh, you know, um, uh, Java and, and C figured out and, and, and Python. Great. Go build this thing. Right. And it's not a big deal anymore right? Because we're so complex, we're building rockets that shoot up into space and then land themselves autonomously. Like that's a big deal. Um, and eventually, in order to stand out, you're going to need to do something that's like really important. And so for me, the way I figured that out works for me is to grab people by the heart and like start to squeeze it a little bit and kind of squeeze their what they're made of. And that's how you uh, kind of bring them to your attention. But for other people, that's going to be need to be some kind of genius, some kind of uh, revolutionary technology, some kind of perspective that no one else has thought of yet. Um, and that's how people are going to stand out. Uh, and then everyone else is just going to be happy with their life and live live as they're supposed to live. And that's fine. That's fine, too. Um, and you need the people at Starbucks, like you need those people. Uh, and sometimes the revolutionary person is also the person at Starbucks. Uh, that's why you treat everyone with respect. Because that person might be doing that in the morning and then in the afternoon, like they're studying to like rewrite the law. So that, that's the professional side of all this. That's the professional side of man in the making. That's what, that's what that means. That's a, that's another why, right? The, the, the one side of it is I'm getting better myself. I'm saving myself. I'm liberating myself and my sm small circle of influence I'm helping as well. Okay. That's all well and good. But then there's the professional side of it. Like when I walk outside I'm, I'm, I'm getting people to memorize my name. That's the other side of things. And there's ego in that. Like, that's important. That's, if you, if you have those goals, that's important. Like, learn that. Um, admire that, that side of the ego. It's the, the part of the ego that says, I'm going to win and everyone else is going to lose. We don't want that. 
or the part of the ego in a conversation that says I'm right and you're wrong. We don't want that. That's the, that's the part of the ego that's not healthy. But the part of the ego that says, I'm in this thing to, to be the best. And I'm going to uplift everything and everyone that I come into contact with. That's, that's like ego mixed with spirit. It's, 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 it's this perfect combination, right? Like there's a balance to everything. Too little ego. And you just, you know, you don't resolve your karma. Life just kind of happens to you. And, and maybe you become a saint and people feed you. But likely that doesn't happen. Too much ego and you become arrogant, right? So there's a balance. If we have yin and yang, it's not. So I, I put this thing on. I saw I, I, I saw this thing on social media the day on, on SoundCloud. You know, this guy was have, have this teacher, whatever. Uh, oh, it's gone now. But he had this ego class on SoundCloud, like and the title was like how to how to get rid of your ego. And the sub the subheading was how to remove that worst part of you, the ego that, that, you know, takes us away from love and things like that. It's like, no, that's the thing that I'm trying to like clarify for people. That's not, we don't get rid of ego. We need the ego, like the need to become better is ego. The spirit, the soul is already better. Like the soul doesn't want anything. The soul is like, I'm not concerned with what you're talking about. I just am. And that's what we're trying to kind of get back to. We're trying to claw our way back to that. The soul just observes, right? What's that? The soul just observes, right? Yeah, exactly. The soul does not add adjective. The soul doesn't know the wants, likes, dislikes, preference, uh, like preference is to be better, right? That's a preference. That's a great preference to have. But the soul doesn't know that. The soul is like, I'm done. You know, come to me. And so we're just coming back to ourselves and we're using the ego to do that. And <clears throat> we're riding that horse, that chariot into the sunset. And we have to control the reins in order to control the direction of how we get there. And, and that those are the tools that we've been given. That's the software that's, that's in there. And so we want it to be as good as possible. And so we don't, and, and I think I made a post about it and then I deleted it because it was, I don't know. I don't want to hurt people's feelings, but I think that's ridiculous. I think anyone who would write something like that knows very little about ego and, you know, I'm just, uh, I don't know. What do you? I was just thinking. So, what you just said is that not your ego then, in a way? Um, let's see. Not sure how to phrase it, but in it a has way, to be. yeah, that's like. I mean, but then isn't that ego saying that you're wrong and this is how it is? Yes. Yeah, there is there is some sense of that, and there is some truth to that. Um, but then what's the alternative well I love that question <laughs> okay so the alternative is to be led astray 
All right. And we don't want that. Right. That's that's the part of the Jordan Peterson that pisses a lot of people off when he goes out. He, he goes out there and he says, no, you're wrong. What you're doing and saying is wrong. OK, people hate that because it's like. We're in an age of like where everyone's accepted and right. And that's not true. And, and that's ego. And that's fine. Right. Like we don't want ego to say. I'm right, you're wrong, and be wrong about it. We want to be right. So I'll back up a minute. And you're right. I love this line of questioning and this logic because you have to be careful. When you start talking about what I'm talking about, you have to be careful. Uh, You have to be morally honest. Okay, so let me see if I can follow this clearly. There's an arrogant sense of right and wrong. There's an arrogant sense of ego, but there's also a benevolent ego. There's a wise ego. Okay. Now we don't want to, we don't want to lead people astray by, by saying things that are going to make things worse for them. Okay. And sometimes that means being the expert in the room. But we don't want to, again, we don't want to do these things too um, egotistically, right? Like, it's okay to be right. It's okay for someone else to be wrong. If, if what I, and I said earlier, the ego is, the part of the ego we don't want is I'm right and you're wrong. But there's nuance to that. It's not I'm right and you're wrong and get the hell out of my office, Okay. And everyone gets that, right? It's the arrogant. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm winning. You're losing. I'm going to go up. You're going to go down, right? That's, that's not a good idea. What we want is I'm right. Here's why I'm right. And if there's something in there, that's not jiving with everyone. Can you please explain that to me? So we can all kind of understand where I went wrong. There's, there's the expert there's, I've done this for a long time. What you're saying is possibly going to confuse people. And I, here's why I think you're wrong. And I don't mean to disrespect you. See, there's all of these things built into what I'm saying. And that's the difficult part of the conversation. Um, that there's, there's minutia that we have to think about. And it's not like professionally, there's egotistical, I'm in charge, you're a peon, you go do this, okay? And if you try to argue or say anything, like you're fired, right? That's that's terrible. That's ego when it's been on overdrive and it's been manipulative and it's, it's not helpful. But then there's ego that says, you know, we're going to all do better. We're going to all succeed. My win is actually our win. And, and if I lead us correctly... We all do better. And then someone raises their hand and says, sir, madam, um, I had this idea, you know, and it's like, I I see things a little differently. The the part of the leader that we want, the part of the ego that we want is the one that says, oh, okay. What do you got? Could be better than what I'm saying. I may have been doing this longer. I may have a clear way of seeing this, but I'm, I'm pretty interested in what you have to say. Now, I would love to have a discussion with this person that I'm talking about, right? Uh, 
and I po- I posted, I tagged him on social media. I didn't hear anything back. So, okay, whatever. Maybe he gets thousands of tags and simply could not see my tag. But, uh, you know, I would love to sit down and say, hey, I think you're the, the, the broadcast that you had was bullshit. And here's why I think that is. And I'd be very open to having a discussion about what he thought about that. And the, someone who is, is just trying to get better and not learn more and not, not, or is just someone who is just trying to excel and succeed without getting better along the way, they're just going to call them out. And that's going to be that, right? I'm right. You're wrong next. But it's like, I think I'm right. I think you're wrong. And here's why, but feel free to, it's an open forum, right? And um, that's the kind of detail I'm talking about. And, and those are all ego, right? That's, that's, that's all ego. And that's why I cover myself by saying we need ego. If we want to, if we want to fulfill a certain amount of duty in this life, if we want to resolve a certain amount of karma, and we have to be careful not to create karma along the way and hurt someone's feelings and leave them resentful and, and hurt. Um, and, you know, I'm willing to listen and, and try to understand, and I'm willing to be wrong after I was just thinking that I was right. That's kind of the key to it. If he presented something and said, oh, here's why, here's why I'm right, and here's why you're wrong, I need to be open enough to say, ah, okay, I didn't see it that way. Good point. I, 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 I understand now. I like that. I was wrong. That's, I'd like to think that that's a part of what I'm saying. And, and I think, I think I do say that. I think, I think I've covered myself safely enough to where I can be honest and not duplicitous. And, and, you know, I'm always willing to have a conversation with someone. And, and I think Peterson is the same way. He'll step up on stage and say, no, that's wrong. Don't do that. But at the same time, if someone says, you know, in an interview and talks to him, he will attempt to understand what you're saying. He'll, he'll try to diagnose like your reasoning in his own mind. And you can see him thinking about it. And, and uh, you know, he may, he may go back and forth. Um, like intellectual honesty is, is the ability to, to remember what you said and then either, either stick by it or, be mistaken and admit it. So I'm always willing to try to be intellectually honest with, with something I'm saying. And, and it's, it's worth clarification because I'm saying, uh, uh, I'm giving like paradoxical statements. Uh, on one end, I'm saying, don't be, don't say I'm right. You're wrong. And the other end I'm saying, Hey, you're wrong. And I'm right. And I'm, and I'm spacing it apart where there's like 10 minutes in between both statements and it's like, well, I thought you just said that, right? So that's a good thing to bring up. But does that make sense? Did that did that clarify the positions, yeah. right? And that's what context is, right? If, if we if we clarify, if we if we understand the context behind this the the statement, the du, the seemingly duplicitous statement, then perhaps we can understand the the details that went behind it. 
And, you know, I, you know, maybe I misunderstood the context behind what that guy was saying, that teacher was saying. And if I attended the, I tried to attend the broadcast, but I didn't quite make it, I'll be honest. But I was reading a book by its cover. Now, if I attended the broadcast and he said, look, I bet you're all looking at the title and thinking, well, you need ego and you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, then I'm the ass. Um, And if that's the case, you know, my apologies, like you got it. Like that's exactly, you know, but maybe he is, you know, know, because I've seen this enough. One of those teachers that say, you know, just give this easy answer behind ego. And it's like, no, get rid of ego and you'll be great. And it's like, that's going to lead people to such confusing realities. Like, cause it, you know what the consequences of that line of thinking are uh, being manipulated, being uh, taken advantage of being extremely empathic, which leads to lack of self-confidence and self-worth. Um, and, and I see it time and time again by people who don't want to be egotistical. So they let someone take advantage of them. I see it all the time. And it's like, that's what, that's where this balance comes in. And that's why I think Stephen Covey stuck out to me so much and, and stuck out to my mentors so much. And, and that's why I was introduced to Stephen Covey and his teachings by another monk because we have this spiritual side of us that's like love light upliftment peace acceptance solidarity and then there's the other side of it where it's like professionalism accuracy precision uh respect you know force energy there's, there's that, that, that side of it too. And that is not all love and all light and upliftment. Sometimes it's hard and it's, 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 it's exhausting, but if we want to, if we want to thrive in this world, we have to have that, that dual nature. We have to bounce back and forth between soul and ego. But, but, but if we have that, if we switch out the lens Right. If the transmission is shifted out, a trans. Uh, uh, if the if the transmission is 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 uh, switched to uh, a new high performance, um, you know, uh, elite craft running transmission, then we can become this this performer, this this uh, elite performer, and we can have this dual nature where we're not too far on one end of just performance and we're not too far on the other end where it's, it's no ego and all love because I, I see the downsides in both of the, those sides. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I have nothing to follow up on. Yeah. I'll tell you what, like your soul is not going to get that SAT or that, that, that master degree or that, that whatever, that goal, your soul has nothing to do with that. It's not going to bother with it one bit. You could, you could be in front of a, if, if you went too far into that area, why would you go to school? 
That's ego's realm. That's not soul. Soul is like, I am everything. I've not, everything is taken care of. I'm good. Why wear clothes? Like, why eat food? I'm just here to observe. To, yeah. ex- I guess, could you say also to just experience through yeah. the body? Yeah. So whatever happens, I'm just experiencing it. Yeah, if you were too far in that, good luck, man. What would you do next? Like getting up out of bed would mean you needed a little bit of ego to fuel that tank. Because the soul yeah. doesn't doesn't need to get out of bed. Just content with just being there, just laying yeah. there. And that's that's where we have the history, the history's yogis and saints, right? There are special people that come around every now and then and incarnate and they don't live for themselves and, and other people see it. Ramana Maharishi, great example, renounced the world as a young boy and just eventually ended up in a basement, uh, like rotting away on the floor in meditation, like rats eating away at his flesh. And he was just like in bliss. And it's like, he was going to die, but that's the soul. Some, yeah, he was fully in soul and some soul, some shopkeeper came down and was like, what the hell are you doing in my basement? And, and could sense this radiating bliss coming out of him. And he was like, Oh my God, we have here a saint. And he, and he took him out, clothed him, like, like fed him. And, and, and for the rest of his life, he was known as Ramana Maharishi. Maha means great. Rishi means sage or seer, right? This great seer. And he was taken care of the rest of his life. He didn't wear clothes. He just wore this little like cloth around his, his, his private parts. And um, just was like in bliss and people surrounded him and, and took care of him and built institutions around him. That is a rare occasion that does not happen every day. And if you try that, good luck. I mean, I wish you the best. I'm not going to feed you. (laughs) Um, I will, I will revere you and admire your, your dedication, but you truly have to be, um, incarnated for that purpose and karmically bound to that path and you know what there's a lot of people who do that right now today and they're just like walking around in the woods of india like naked and just chilling and and that is that just not everyone gets plucked out as as uh like they're all free agents and not all of them get picked up on the roster and sent up to the big leagues. There's a lot of them that are just doing their thing. And that's a beautiful thing. But if you had, you know, if you had any inclination that you could do that and then be taken care of and stuff like that, well, guess what? You know, start starting to sound like ego got mixed into that. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say. So that's, that's that side of it. And that exists. And that's a beautiful thing. But, you know, there's no fear there. There's no worry. There's no concern. There's no I'm going to die. <laughs> like the guy was ready to die. He was in the process of dying before someone saved him. Um, Ananda Maima, 
big saint in the in the 40s and 50s in India. Uh, didn't speak for decades. Didn't eat. People had to hand feed her or else she would have died. And she was like, I am everything. What does it matter if I die? That is another caliber of person, of saint, of soul. And like literally, you can. there are photos where people every day had to kind of like shove food into her mouth and force her to swallow because there's no ego. It's gone. They were not born in this life to, to professionally excel. For everyone else, for the 99.99%, we have to have a balance. I think people forget that and they think, oh, no, I mean, like, I want to do better. I'm, I want to get to my soul. I want to be love and, and I want to, like, balance my chakras and do yoga. And that's my that's my soul speaking. And it's like, no, it's not. That's your ego recognizing the tyranny of of itself. And that's your soul like shining through a little bit, but you got to work with the ego. You got, you have to work with the ego unless you know someone who will feed you. That comes from misinformation though, because I didn't know much about this until I started doing these podcasts. Like I had a different view on these whole things, but now that from how much I learned from you, now I know how it actually is, but what you were just saying, I think, yeah, that that's just misinformation from what other people have heard from others. Yeah, it's inexperience. Yeah, it's inexperience. When we when we've walked the path to a certain degree for a long enough time, and we experience a certain amount of things, we we start to say, Ah, I got it. Right. We learn stuff as we go about our life and, and, and the bigger things that we reflect on and, and dive deep into contemplation and study, the bigger realizations we have. And these are huge realizations to have. And um, it's, you know, you know, it's why it's why, you know, my path is a part of my script. It's why, my title is former monk like there's something behind that there's a there's there's a reason to keep bringing that up and it's like oh okay i've you know definitely put in the work and i try to encourage people to think about that for a second have you put in the work before you start teaching this thing you have to be very careful you know, there's this guy on, on online that uh, I used to follow on Instagram. And he, and he said he used to his one of his sayings is study something for 10 years and then start talking about it. And I love that. Right. Because that's exactly right. It's, it's not it's not 100 percent. Right. Right. It goes against Covey's learn something and teach it that night. OK, but there's again, there's like nuance all up in there. <laughs> And both are right. Yes, study for something for 10 years and then start teaching it. Learn something today and, and 
teach it tonight. I agree with both. But the way the context works out, I, I need to see if it's correct or not, like to agree with it. And, and in order to memorize something, you really need to start talking about it. Like if you learn something, it's probably best that you start telling someone else that you learned about it that day so that you remember or else it's gone. Um, and then it's up to them to filter through it and mm -hmm. whether to accept it for what you said or not. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, their own critical thinking on it. Yeah, it comes with a certain amount of weight. And so with a 10-year guy, you know, it's going to be like more people are going to listen. Mm -hmm. The first day guy, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me how that progresses. You know, there's a difference in how it's received as well. It should maybe the saying is if you want people to believe in you, study for something for 10 years and then start teaching it. If you want, if you want to remember something you've learned, start teaching it that night. There you go. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> cool. All right. So good note to end on, right? Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Rokas just informed me that uh, we surpassed 10,000 downloads. Uh, how many countries is that? It does, doesn't say. Uh, it does. I'll give me a minute. We want to thank everyone from uh, all, all over. Okay. So 74 different countries. 74. <laughs> different countries that is so cool i mean maybe some of it is just bots skimming the uh the the podcast for i don't know for whatever reason but i mean i doubt it would be bots though yeah well if you're real out there <laughs> uh thank you for listening uh you know you're feel free to contact us and uh you know talk to us get involved and um, don't forget, you can search on Amazon for Everything is Your Fault, my uh, first publicly published book. Um, it's, 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 as I say, it's short enough to actually finish. And I think a lot of people are going to appreciate that. I got a lot of good feedback from it. And uh, I think that's because it's, it's short enough to where you can actually finish it. Um, a lot of books today are a little too long for a lot of people. They buy it, they start it. They remember it being okay and they don't finish it. So one of my goals was, hey, this is going to be short enough to where you can actually finish it and, and say, I finished this book. I think that's, again, because of the complexity of today's world, books may, be, may need to get shorter. And uh, who knows, maybe I tapped into something there. Um, you can find that on Amazon and pre-sale right now. And it gets delivered to you in, I think, June 1st. Um, Zen Mind Academy is a nonprofit we are working with as started um, to help people um, all over the world. And we are generating money as a 501c3. We're generating interest. You can go to https colon slash slash zenmind.academy to learn more about that. We're having our second retreat at the end of August, August 26th through the 29th. And uh, that's limited, limited amount of uh, seats, uh, six total. Um, 
we're going to be having a yearly retreat now and we're going to start small and get bigger, you know, 10 people, 12 people, 15, it's going to get bigger and bigger. Uh, but this is a kind of end of COVID, you know, trying to restore some sense of community and keeping it smaller will help people feel safer and uh, keep them worrying less. That's one way to worry less is uh, play to people's concerns. Um, and what else is going on? Rokas, anything? Nothing for me. Just a big old appreciative man yep. over there thanking everyone. And uh, yeah, we hope that uh, you are all well and we will talk next time.